In the 18th century, some people colored their teeth black. What? Why? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> and two actors with the same name have stars on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. Both were movie stars. Hmm. What's their name? Hmm. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Well, Marcia, people used to color their teeth black? In the 18th century, Bob, some people would color their teeth black. Now, why do you think they would do that? This is certainly not a commercial for optic white Colgate, but... <laughs> So these aren't like actors trying to look like Hicks or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, no, they did this. They actually colored their teeth black. Yeah. Oh, my it's goodness. It's just like the opposite of today, right? Yes. Everybody wants to be very tan and very white teeth. So it was for fashion, but why well, was it, it for was fashion? For, actually, it wasn't just fashion. It was for a look they wanted to achieve. Okay, tell me about the look they wanted to achieve. Okay. You'll like this. Despite its high price at the time, sugar was so popular and in such demand that people would eat so much their teeth would decay, Bob. Oh. And turn black. Dear. And so that was the cachet. If you were rich enough, your teeth would turn black. Oh, my God. The poor class who wanted to up their status in public would blacken their teeth so it looked like they too could eat sugar. Where was this? England. Wow, that is so strange. It's so sick, isn't it? It is, but you know, so many things in fashion are like that. Even today, things are kind of sick. The people do things to look a certain way. To look richer. I still think that women wearing high heels, although it looks good. Um, <laughs> See, I, that's I, why they do I it, know, Bobby. <laughs> I know, but it's it's like it wreaks havoc on your body. It's terrible yeah, for your... spike heels, yeah. Yeah, for your yeah. posture and everything. Yes, dear. But blacken my my teeth? No, that's okay, not going to Okay, well, happen. we won't do that. Okay. I only had to do that once. Remember I did that thing where I played an outlaw and his brother, the, oh, the yeah, sheriff. Oh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, so they blackened one of my teeth, yeah. so I looked like I was You look here. cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy was cute, too. Two actors with the same name well, have stars on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. I have to think. What is the name? It has to be something like you. John Smith, Bob Smith, Tom Jones. No, it's not. Bill Schwartzkopf? No, it's a really famous film name these days. And there was an earlier star with the same name. Two film stars with, with the, the same, same name. name. Identical, not related, yeah. though. Yeah, okay, tell me. Harrison Ford. Really? Yes. Today, we all know actor Harrison Ford. We got to know him first from Star Wars and the Indiana Jones films, and he's gone on to make more than 70 films. But there was another Harrison Ford, the original Harrison Ford, he, too, made movies, more than 80 films, to be exact. And really? he, too, was a dashing and handsome man in his time. Few actors have played with as many prominent picture stars as Harrison Ford. That's a quote from 1928. <laughs> oh, wow. About this guy, oh. who was born in 1884. He was a leading man on Broadway for a decade before he moved to Hollywood in 1915. And you can see his name on silent movie posters next to Clara Bow and Marion Davies. So he was a big star. I'll be darned. And he got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And you can find his in front of Musso and Frank's Grill in Hollywood. 
It looks identical to the one of the Harrison Ford of today in front of the Dolby Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. But this guy was so well-known that when Harrison Ford, the Harrison Ford of today, became a movie star, he was originally built as Harrison J. Ford. So that's the story of why there are two Harrison Fords on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. All right, Bob, about how many billions of people have ever lived, give or take a billion? That's a good question. Because how many billions are there today? Four or five billion? There are. I can tell you that. Let me see. It's in my... Eight billion. Eight billion nearly, people. Nearly eight billion nearly today. Nearly eight billion people yeah. in the Which, earth. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I remember when it was three billion people. That was you like do a, not. Yes, I do. Because I have a record when I was a kid from the United Nations, and they had a song called Three Billion Millionaires. And it was about the world. Huh. That's all the people that were in the world at the time. 1963. So I would think, since it took a long time to get to 3 billion, maybe there's only been 15 billion people. No. Okay. 117 billion. 117 billion people. That incorporates the 8 billion today, which is about 7% of all the people believed to have walked The face of the earth. The face of the earth. I always like that. In the course of human history. Okay, okay. 117 billion people. Well, who's, who's saying this? The Population Reference Bureau. That's the source for this. For the numbers, yeah. Oh, gosh, okay. I didn't know there was an authority known <laughs> as that. I didn't either. Somebody just opened that office up uh, down on uh, on Brown Street or something. Yeah, it's you know? down the street. It's some vagabond who, put, I think I'll get a government paycheck Probably here. as a podcast, yeah. you know. Okay. yeah. Okay, but you know, the number keeps changing because our understanding of human history keeps evolving. When the Bureau initially calculated the number, modern Homo sapiens were thought to have first appeared around 50,000 years ago, BCE. But recent discoveries put the actual date closer to 200,000 BCE. That's a big That's a long difference. time ago, yeah. And that, Bob, those numbers are from the Population Reference Bureau. There we go again. <laughs> okay, as I mentioned, there are two different Harrison Fords on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Did you know there are two different Michael Jacksons on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? No. One is the uh, musician. The other was a KABC radio personality, Michael Jackson. All right, now there are five categories on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. What okay. are they? TV. Mm-hmm. Film. Mm-hmm. Radio, mm-hmm. uh, records, music, music, uh-huh. and? and Broadway. Well, live theater. Live theater. Live theater. Yeah. I did it. Yes, you did. Thank ding, you. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Radio, movies, music, television, and theater or live performances. Now, four famous performers have four different stars. Can you name one of those people? Four performers, four different stars. Can I name one of them? Yeah. Yes. Barbara Streisand. No. No? No, she doesn't have four stars. For different, you know, for produce. Uh, I'll give you a hint. One of them is a comedian, famous comedian. Okay. I'm trying to make it easy for you. Okay. One was a cowboy star. Gene Autry. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. Gene Autry actually has five. Five stars? He is the only Hollywood performer who has five stars, one in each category. Gene Autry. Really? But there are four performers that have four stars. So who are those people? One is a cowboy star. Um, God. He and his wife. John Wayne. He and his wife had a TV show years ago. Was it? Had a horse called Roy Trigger. Rogers. Yeah, there we go. You got one. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the four famous performers who have four different stars uh-huh. are Bob Hope, Tony Martin, Roy Rogers, and Mickey Rooney. 
and the only one with five stars is Jean Autry, who's well, that, almost that, forgotten today. What about in all the different categories? Barbara Streisand would fit in, and other people of Well, her she ilk. might, but she didn't get well, one for radio. All okay. right. I believe you. Okay, well, Bob. Ready? Yes. Is black a color? Is white a color? Black is all the colors in one. White reflects all the colors. Isn't that the way it is? Black yeah. black absorbs colors. So all the colors absorbed are black. Mm-hmm. White is all the colors reflected. That's my remembrance that's of your, science. Re- that's your remembrance? That's my remembrance. <laughs> well, you misremembered. Oh, my God. No, you were close, though. Okay. Picture a rainbow, which comprises the visible spectrum of light. I'm and, picturing it right now. And you'll notice that black isn't in it. That would That's be right. kind of depressing, a black rainbow. Anyway, oh. scientifically speaking, black is the absence of light. That's what black is. Okay. And because light is required for color, black contains no color. Black's Just op- the opposite of what I thought. Yeah. Black's opposite is... White is the total of all colors in the visible spectrum. Wow, I had it all wrong. I had it all wrong, (laughs) Marcia. And here's another mind-bending fact. Okay. Nothing in nature can be pure, absent of light black, except the inner reaches of the black hole. Or my soul (laughs) on a very dark night. I didn't want to say it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You got your little uh, Rod Serling voice there. Yeah. Picture, if you will. (laughs) Okay, Marcia, who was the first person of note to ride on a Pullman railroad car? The first person Person of of note. Person of note, I will say. Was he the mayor of Chicago? Not from Chicago, but he was from Illinois. Abraham Lincoln. That's right. And it was when he was dead. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Well, you didn't say that. Well, I said who was the first person of note to ride on yeah, a Pullman Railroad car. You didn't say car. he was alive and riding That true. would be the body of Abraham Lincoln. It was the funeral train mm-hmm. that took the body from Washington to Springfield. George Pullman built his first Pullman coach during the Civil War, and at first no railroad would buy a car from him because Why? it was so heavy and it didn't fit all the tracks. But when Lincoln died... Pullman saw the chance to pay his respects and get his car on the rails, so he told Colonel James Bowen and Mrs. Lincoln that his luxury car was at their disposal. And it was also used by General Grant to take him from Detroit to Galena. And after this publicity, contract after contract came in for the Pullman coaches. So that's where they began. I'll be down with Abraham Lincoln. Yes, a dead president. That's how the cheesehead came into being. He took it on the road to the Super Bowl down in Florida. He made a... That guy made a cheese head out of his mother's stuffing in her couch. (laughs) Leave it to you to bring it back to Wisconsin, Marcia. It's either the Packers or cheese heads. There must be other categories we can get to here. No, the Pullman thing I did know about Chicago and Illinois and the Pullman. That's fascinating. Okay. What's your next question? And it's not, hopefully, about the Packers or cheese heads. No, it's not. Okay. It's your wheelhouse. What U.S. president was a redhead? A redhead? Uh Uh-huh. Wow, a redhead. Was it George Washington? How did you know that? Well, I think I remember he was originally a redhead before he became white-haired. As a kid, he was a redhead. As a young man, he was a redhead. He was wearing that wig all the time. Yeah. That's why you thought he was always white. (laughs) But uh, no, he actually had reddish-brown hair, and it was captured in portraits painted of him when he was much younger. 
And one example can be seen in the painting of the Courtship of Washington, depicting Washington with his wife Martha and her kids. Wow, that's interesting. Anyway, his estate even has a lock of hair that displays its amber hue. Oh, really? It kept its color mm-hmm. after all these years? Well, your hair doesn't lose its color once it's out of your head. I didn't know that, Marsh. Really? There's all kinds of things I didn't know about. That's the why color I'm black. <laughs> White. That, that your hair Red. keeps its color after yeah, you die. Yeah, you're kind of color deficient, but I've lost my uh, <laughs> sense of color here. I've got a couple of uh, historic questions for you, Marsh. Sure. Okay. How much did a first-class ticket on the Titanic cost? Oh, gosh. I will say $145. That would be a lot of money back in 1912. $50. That would be a lot of money back in 1912. $28.50. No. $4,000. Oh, my. You got yeah. It. In 1912, $4,260 in 1912 for Jeez. a ticket on the oh, Titanic. And a what, one-way ticket at that, Marsh. That's hard to believe. <laughs> How much is that worth in today's money? $135,173 is what a first-class ticket would have cost on the Titanic in today's money. Uh, in today's money? Uh, yeah. Can you imagine that? No. Well, look at those people were beyond wealthy. They were all inherited or big titans uh, discovered. Yeah, wow. there's only... $135,000 for a trip. Yeah. You're right. That just shows how much wealth those people have. Oh, like yeah. Famous families. Speaking of famous people, I have another question. Yeah. Famous person, Teddy yeah. Roosevelt. What did he have stitched into his uniforms when he went to war? His name and address. No. <laughs> Casey lost it. What did he have stitched into his Teddy Roosevelt uniform? had something stitched into his uniforms when he went to war. He needed them. He needed them? Them. Uh, it wasn't, uh, what was it? He was always smoking a pipe or chewing tobacco. Or what did he sex. wear? Cigar. What is he known for? Uh, cigars. No. Hats. No. Every picture you've ever seen of Teddy Roosevelt, he he wore these. Glasses. Eyeglasses, yes. They're even on his face at uh, Mount Rushmore, eyeglasses. Yeah. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt's vision was so bad he wasn't able to function without eyeglasses, and when he went to war in 1898, he had several pairs stitched into the linings of his uniforms. Huh. That's pretty <laughs> smart. Okay. Time for a break? I think it's time for a break. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer with Robert. Yes, we like to enlighten you with colorful features, boomer news, boomer history, but we will also mystify you. And this one coming up in 24, that's going to be really creepy. That's an astronomer standing at ground zero where the 2017 and 2024 eclipse paths will cross over Carbondale, Illinois, the home of OK Boomer with Robert. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. We're back. We're back with the off-ramp. I'm Bob Smith. This is Marcia Smith with me. And we do this for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its CPL radio, internet radio station. And after that, it goes on podcast platforms around the world. <laughs> around the world. Okay, what's your next question? All right. According to History Facts, Bob, in 1793, what country used to have a 10-hour day? 1793? Yeah. A country had a 10-hour day. Yeah, and this is not a little unknown country. This is a big country. Oh, wait a minute. I heard something about this. Uh, was it Russia by any chance? No. Okay. It wasn't Russia. wasn't Russia. Was it France by any chance? Why do you say that? Well, see, countries with dictators, kings, always were doing things like this, declaring it's a 10-hour day. <laughs> 
You know, a foot is as long as my foot, you know. <laughs> as long as my nose. No kidding. That would be funny. Okay, so what's okay. the story here? You're right. It's France. French revolutionary time was short-lived concept that used a base 10 timekeeping system. Base 10, it's called otherwise known as decimal time. This unprecedented method included, get this, 10-hour days, 100 minute per hour, 100 seconds per minute. Each day was divided into 10 equal parts, with zero making the start, which is now midnight, and five denoting the midpoint at noon. Wow. This meant that every hour was more than twice as long as an hour of standard time today. New clocks were even manufactured displaying both decimal time and standard time. And guess what? There was considerable confusion. <laughs> you know, though, I've always wondered why we went to a decimal system of 100 with the Romans. So why wasn't everything measured by 100? And then this is an example of where they divided the day into yeah, 100 which increments. Which sort of makes sense. It would be easy, wouldn't it? Well, it was adopted in 1793. But the system was deemed optional just two years later because everybody hated it so uh, much. Whenever you say optional, that kills it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was after two years they did that because nobody wanted to adopt it. And completely abolished by Napoleon oh, Bonaparte yeah. on January 1st, 1806. So it lasted 1793 <laughs> to 1806. Well, Napoleon really changed a lot of laws for the better, actually, in France. What you got, Bob? Where does the action and the expression knock on wood come from, Marcia? Knock on wood. Ah. Knock yeah. on wood. For uh, good luck. Yeah. It comes from. An ancient belief. Of I'm going to help you here. Of timber barons who, who uh, I have no idea. It comes from an ancient belief that trees were inhabited by gods. So the oh, custom okay. of knocking on wood for good luck or protection was asking God for protection. Well, I hit, can I? That's a. No, that, you can't go back and do a redo now. It's too late. <laughs> too late. You can't edit me saying it right? No? no? Okay. So that was for good luck. You'd knock on wood. Right, right. And to avoid bad luck, want to guess why it became bad luck to open an umbrella indoors? You wouldn't open an umbrella indoors. You you know that one? No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, I've had. I usually go into buildings and leave the umbrella open there yeah. so it dries. It was, it's just an old timey thing. bad luck. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Okay, what's the story on that story? Well, the umbrella is actually an ancient African innovation intended as portable shade against the sun. Oh, that's interesting. They didn't care Port about the rain. Portable but... shade. I love yeah, that no. concept. Mobile shade. It's a new thing. <laughs> the bad luck superstition came from the African belief that to open the umbrella in the shade was an insult to the sun god. Wow and would cause him to bring down his wrath on the offender. Mm. So that's the origin of that superstition, is the wrath of the sun god. Wow. Didn't want to guess that one. Okay, Marcia, what city of 8 million people, as late as 1977, only had 208,000 telephones and not one telephone book? <laughs> this is true. Would you say that whole thing again? Okay, what? The, this was a city of 8 million people. It's more than that now. But as late as 1977, it had only 208,000 telephones out of 8 million people and not a telephone book to be found. Wasn't 1977, Marcia. Yeah, so yeah. there were just landlines. Landlines, yes. Okay, I will say, is it South America? No. Another like part of the world. Greenland? No. Uh, Australia? No. 
near Australia? Cairo, New Egypt. Cairo, Cairo, Egypt. Oh, really? Yeah, the phone system was said to have been practically worthless during the workday. In fact, Cairo businessmen often flew to Athens, Greece to place phone calls from hotels back in those days. Ah. But as late as 1977, it had only 208,000 telephones. See, so many things have changed. Okay, Marcia, when were the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans first seen at the same time? They were seen for the same time, for the first time, during our lifetime. That's my clue. Oh, by astronauts. <laughs> no, no, by television. This was a stunt that was pulled on network television. Okay. 1951, when Edward R. Murrow's first See It Now television program uh-huh. aired, November 18th, 1951, it showed both oceans on a live split screen to okay. demonstrate the power of television. Oh, well, that's very clever. Is that? That was, what a neat idea. Yeah. Can you imagine being in a, in a conference room? I got an idea. Let's show both <laughs> oceans at the same time on Blow their minds, Harvey. Yes, people will be amazed. Yeah, amazed and amused. <laughs> Uh, you probably haven't heard, or maybe you have, of the Coco de Mer palm tree. The Coco de Mer? Yes. That's the cocoa tree by the sea? Yes, I guess that's what it means, okay. isn't it? They grow up to 110 feet tall, Bob. Wow, that's, it, that's like a 17-story building. I didn't know that. And they're topped by leaves with fronds 30 feet long. And their seeds are longer than a foot. Wow. How much do you think their seeds weigh? Want to take a guess? Seed of a coco... Coco de mer. Coco de mer. Yes. The seeds are a foot long, so I bet they must weigh six pounds. 55 pounds Holy cow. Yes. They're gargantuan trees and considered endangered. They're native to just two of the Seychelles' 150 islands. Amazing. Experts believe there are only about 8,000 mature trees left and they take up to 50 years before they're able to reproduce. 50 years before you have a seed. That's amazing. and 10 years to ripen its fruit. Okay, Marcia, some medical history. How is the father of surgery responsible for 7-Up and other soft drinks? When was it, Marcia? And who was it? (sighs) Louis Pasteur. No, it's not Louis Pasteur. I don't know. In 1807, a Philadelphia doctor, Philip Singh Physic, the father of American surgery, ask a chemist to prepare carbonated water for a patient. Flavor was added to make the drink more palatable, and from there on, they weren't medicinal drinks anymore. They were soft drinks. Okay. So today's soft drinks. It all started in medicine, in surgery. Okay. Why, Bob? Why? I don't know, Marcia. What's the answer? Why do we say somebody isn't up to scratch? I never heard of that one. I heard not up to speed, not up to scratch. No, I didn't hear that. I don't, really? That's very common. That's, I, that's I an expression that. I don't think I've ever heard that's, of. You know, if you do bad work, it's not up to scratch. Okay, well, where did that come from? All right. During the early days of bare-knuckled boxing, a line was scratched across the center of the ring, dividing it into two halves. And then the fighters would meet there to start the contest. It's where they towed the line, another expression. Told yes, the I've line. heard that one. That came from that, too to begin each round. If one of the fighters was unable to toe the line without help, then he was said not to be up to scratch, the scratch line. The scratch line. Yeah. You got something for me? I do. Think of all the cowboy films you saw and all the settlers heading west on covered wagons and them being surrounded by Indians or Native Americans and then there being a slaughter, right? That, That was in a lot of films back in the day. So how many white settlers were actually killed on the Oregon Trail? from 1840 to 1860. Any idea? Oh, jeez. 
Now a quarter of a million people went on that trip. Really? From the east coast oh, to helps. Oregon and California. How many were killed by a Indians? Quarter. Were they all together or in separate little groups? They weren't in one big wagon train, Marsh. A quarter of a million people. <laughs> this is from 1840 to 1860, yeah. I said. Okay, that's what I thought. Just just verifying. How many white settlers out of a quarter are, of a million are documented as having been killed on the Oregon Trail? I'll say I have no idea. Less than 400. What? Yes. Wow. White murders by the Indians have been exaggerated out of proportion in many cases. Now, that's right. not in all the West. That's just on yeah. the Oregon Trail. I thought that was interesting. You're that right. comes from the Plains across 1840 to 1860 by John Unra, Jr. Okay, Marcia, again, geography, your favorite subject. <laughs> Which country is the least densely populated? Now, here's a hint for oh, you. Multiple choice? It has less than one-tenth of a person per square mile. Less than one-tenth of a person. It has to be. <laughs> That's pretty small. We're talking DNA now, Marsh. But it has to be a very vast land. It is, is it? in the northern yeah. latitudes. Yeah. What All country? Is it something like Greenland or something? Yes, it is. All right. Ironically, it's not only the least densely populated country, it's the biggest island. It has such a low population density that mathematically, it has just 0 0.07 of a person per square mile. I get lonely. Seven hundredths of a person per square mile. Yeah, we'd have I'd to. I hate to live with uh, a zero seven. It'll assemble a lot of people there to have one person. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly one Bob. <laughs> oh man, now that is the least densely populated place on earth yeah. for a country. And what's the least densely populated state in the United States? I would say, bomb, bomb, bomb. It's out west. Yeah, I know that. I would say something like. Um, I'd say Utah. And you would be wrong. <laughs> it's Wyoming. It is Wyoming. Yeah, yeah I, I know that. Laramie is there, right? Yes, Fort Laramie is in Wyoming. I was yes. offered a job there once. Back Again, back to Marsha. <laughs> Either it's Wisconsin, the Packers, or your, your employment history. <laughs> Which is vast. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm finishing but up. But now we want to talk about your successful employment history. <laughs> How long is that? Didn't you hear it? It passed already. <laughs> okay, uh, before we get to my quote, let me finish up with Mary Phelps Jacob. Who is she? That Nin sounds familiar. It does. In 1913, Bob, she invented the first successful modern ladies' brassiere. Oh, that's it, yes. You knew that. Yeah, I thought I was thinking brassiere for some reason. Well, that's, you always are thinking well, brassiere. Well, that's different, she yeah. <laughs> she eventually sold her patent to Warner Brothers. Uh, I think that's the same Warner Bra company today. It is the it's, same Warner Bra company today, yeah, right? Yeah. What exactly was her invention made up of? What was her invention made yeah, up of? Yeah, what did it look like? Two bushel baskets tied together. <laughs> Boy, you have big dreams, Bob. Big Bob. dreams, big yeah, dreams. Big dreams. Um, what, what did it look like? I'm sorry, but it looked like a bra. I don't know. It's just two cups and... Uh, no, there were no cups. Okay. It was two hankies and a ribbon. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Two hankies and a ribbon? Yeah. Two handkerchiefs and a ribbon. Two hankies. That's the bra? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, it uh, was the first successful modern bra. They bought it. She made money on it, and she went on, and she didn't die till 1970. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so when was that? When was that first bra? 1913. 1913. Same year as the Titanic sank, women's bosoms came up. That's right. Okay. That's Just right. want to make sure I had that uh, 
That's how I'll remember it from now on. We were talking about the cost of sailing on the Titanic back then. I'm going to finish with a quote from the sage George Carlin. (laughs) He said, trying to be happy by accumulating possessions is like trying to satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. (laughs) Okay. All right. We hope you've enjoyed the show today. And if you'd like to contribute, you can go to our website, theofframp.show. Scroll all the way down to contact us, leave us a message, and uh, we would really enjoy hearing from you. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. And join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts, tantalizing trivia on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.